all is well in the world. Why don't you look at somebody and encourage them in the Lord tonight and allow them to know and say, God, come on, encourage somebody, say, God, have something very special just for you, just for you, just for you. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to give Pastor Dom the mic real quick, but let me just say a few things and we're going to be out of here, okay? So Pastor Dom is preaching tonight. Come on, give it up for him. Amen. So he'll be preaching tonight. And uh, then next Sunday, we're going to have Pastor Hill preach next Sunday. OG is in the house. That's the difference. I'm not Pastor Hill. You call me Pastor B. That. <laughs> I'm not old. <laughs> At least not yet. <laughs> but God is a good God. God is a good God. Huh? Well, he's not old neither, but he's older than me. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so we, we, we thank God for that. And we're, we're going to be concluding our message series of Hot Button Issues next Sunday. And so um, we can, we're going to conclude that. And we're going into a new series afterwards that I am in, in pre preparation for to share with you. And I'm so excited about it. It's called Heaven. I'm going to talk to you about Heaven in two weeks. And so I want you to be there because there's a lot of misconceptions about Heaven. And most people want to know what happens when you die. And so I'm going to address all of that stuff to you because death is real. <laughs> and it knocks on everyone's door at some point. Amen. And I hope it ain't knocking on mine no time soon. But <laughs> even if it does, I'm, all, I'm ready. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Well, before the word of God comes, why don't you put your heart and mind and soul together. We about to receive the word. And I just thank God for what he's about to do. Why don't you lift your hands to heaven and say, God, I'm ready to receive what you have in store for me in the name of jesus christ i thank you now that my ears are open and my heart is ready to receive in the name of jesus in the name of jesus we thank you tonight you know there's such a sweet presence that's still here from tuesday night from corporate prayer that is in this room and i just thank god for his goodness and i thank him for his grace tonight Amen, amen. Y'all glad to be in the house tonight? Oh, that was weak. Are y'all glad to be in the house tonight? I don't know about you, but I'm extra excited. Uh, this time last year, I didn't know if I was going to live. And um, to a lot of people, that sounds dramatic, but that was the case. And so I don't know about you, but I'm grateful to have breath in my body. Amen. I'm grateful to be able to be standing, alive, consciousness. Amen. So if y'all don't shout, if y'all don't scream, I'ma scream, amen. I don't care who's in the room. I got a reason to shout and celebrate, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so I'ma get right to it. Come to me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Should be up on the screen for you. Acts 2, starting with verse 41. This is the New King James Version. Then those who gladly received his, Peter's word, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, 
and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let the redeemed of the Lord say amen. Father, help me to preach tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we have been in a message series entitled Hot Button Issues. Who's been enjoying the message series? Yes, yes, yes. This has been a great message series. Very controversial. Amen. But um, I like a little controversy. Amen. <laughs> so this has been a great message series. Um, Hot Button Issue, let's just go over quickly, just a uh, recap. Hot Button Issue is an emotional, usually controversial issue or concern that triggers, that triggers and excuse me, an immediate or intense reaction. The purpose of this message series is to address controversial issues that we are currently facing in our culture and society from a biblical, somebody say biblical, biblical point of view. We want to hear what, what God, somebody say God. We want to hear what God has to say concerning these issues in order that we may be informed so that we can lead and navigate this conversation in grace and love. Amen. So we've been talking, we've been covering a lot of hot button issues. We've covered abortion. We've covered sexuality. We've covered mental illness. And last Sunday we covered racism. And we've all, um, we've addressed all of these issues from the perspective of the Christian perspective, from the church's perspective. But tonight... The hot button issue we're dealing with is not necessarily from the church's perspective. It's the church itself. Amen. Yeah. Why is the church a hot button issue? I remember when Pastor Brandon told me, he was like, yeah, I'm going to challenge you to talk about the church. And I had to think, I was like, the church is a hot button issue? And then when you really think about it, it really is. Here are a couple reasons why. Somebody say scandal. Scandal, <laughs> scandal. Man, over the years, there have been so many scandals in the church concerning finances, illicit sexual activity among the members and leaders, controversial statements that we made over the air, over Facebook, social media, illegal activity. So, yeah, hot button issue. Here's another reason why the church is a hot button issue. Somebody say church hurt. Church hurt. What is church hurt? Church hurt is when a person experiences a form of abuse of power from a prominent leader in the church. This, is, this can come from any type of direction, from fornication to rape, molestation, having your money taken. So this is a very, very sensitive issue. Why else is the church considered a hot button issue? We've discussed some very controversial topics this month, and in all honesty, our stance as a church on a lot of these issues already present opposition because they don't fall in line with society's agenda. And so by standing on truth, what we have is a lot of people saying, oh, the church should be silent. The church, you don't need to say anything. No, the reality is, is that you don't like what I'm saying, that the word and the truth that I'm preaching is offensive to you. So rather than hear what you know in your subconscious is truth, you rather block us out and rather not hear it at all. So that's why, that's another reason why we controversial. We stand Chick-fil-A, one of the biggest, biggest fast food places. All they said was that we stand on the truth that marriage is between one man and one woman. And we got all these articles, they anti-gay, anti-homosexual. Don't we live in a country with religious freedom? <laughs> 
the Bible says, this is, the, this, is a man, this is a man who is a Christian, running a Christian organization. He says, we standing on truth. We didn't say we don't treat anybody bad. We didn't say we mistreat anybody. We stand on the truth. When you asking us about marriage, we stand on the truth of the word that marriage is between man and woman. And no matter how much opposition Chick-fil-A face, they still getting customers. I don't know about you, but I'm still going to Chick-fil-A. And even, even those in the lifestyle, I can tell you for themselves, I saw some people on Instagram, they was like, hey, they don't agree with, they don't agree with our version of marriage, but I'm still getting my number one. I'm still getting my number two and my number three, amen? So no matter how controversial we are, we choose to stand on truth. And so even when we stand on truth, there's a, another side to that. When we're not standing loud enough. When we're not being loud enough on the issues, or when we're not having a voice, when we're not being firm on our voices, these are some of the reasons why we so hot button. Why this is such a hot button issue? Why is this important for us? In the midst of all this controversy and negativity, we have to keep a clear focus as believers. It's very easy to get caught up in all this controversy and who's saying what, and this pastor said this, and he was cursing, that we lose the value, we lose the beauty of what the church really is. We lose the beauty and understanding of the purpose of why we gather here Sunday after Sunday, Tuesday after Tuesday. All of that can get mixed up in all that's going on. That's why you got to subscribe to this right here, I know it's not the actual book, but you got to subscribe to the Bible. You got to subscribe to what the word says about these gatherings, because what we made church to be is carnivals and playtime and entertainment. But this gives us truth on what it is. This gives us truth on why we gather this truth. This right here gives us truth on why we doing here. What we doing here every Sunday at five. Read this. I'm about to show you why, why we gather here, why we wake up in the morning, why we plan time to plan out these services and these gatherings. I'm about to show you why. And by showing you why, I hope you can stand firm against people who constantly talk about the church and the church is this and the church is that. Listen, I don't care what you have to say. This is what the word says about church and I'm standing on it. Don't really care what you have to say. I'm standing on what it is. We come here for a purpose. If we can be confident in that purpose, we will not allow society to limit our voice. We have a voice. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about church. This church in the English is the English translation of the Greek word ekklesia. Somebody say ekklesia. ekklesia. Trying to be fancy. It means a calling out. A popular meeting, especially a religious congregation, a Jewish synagogue or a Christian community. In general, ecclesia means assembly. It means a congregation. As we look at the word, uh, as we look at the use of ecclesia in the Bible, it has many different uses, not just relating to church. It's because it's used in terms of assembly and congregation, there were a lot of times where ecclesia was used in the Bible to describe gatherings that had nothing to do with the Christian community. But the major times that you're going to see ecclesia, especially in the New Testament, was used to describe the church. Now, when we talk about the church, we have to describe it in two different regards. We have the universal church. And then we have the local church. The universal church is all of us as believers, those who have confessed Jesus Christ as the son of God, those who have believed on him for eternal life. We are the church. Say, we are, we are the, church. the church. Those of us who are believers. And then we have the local church. The local church is here. This is TCF. That's House of Revival out in D.C. Shout out to our peoples. Those are the local churches. Specific gatherings of body believers that are placed in different areas that all together represent the full manifestation of the universal church. Amen. Yeah. 
And so even in the Old Testament, what's important is that even in um, Acts 7, Stephen uses ecclesia to describe the people of the Old Testament. Why is that important? Because the word church does not appear, uh, appears first in the New Testament, but the essence of our gatherings appears in the Old Testament. When Moses and his people used to gather together around the temple, when they would gather in Mount Sinai and the glory of the Lord would come and hover around them as a glory cloud. The assembly was the ecclesia, so even though church, the word and the term terminology wasn't already established the essence of what it really was was here from the beginning it was here from the beginning and so that's what we have in the Old Testament. And so what it does, what it did throughout the Old Testament, it started off as a gathering. As we go through generation and generation, we start implementing systems and operations. And this is how we get the local church. But the essence of it has been here since the Old Testament. That's why it's relevant. That's why it's relevant then, now, and will always be relevant in the future. Amen? So... Why is, this, why, why is this important, especially in concerning the Old Testament? You have to understand that back in times in the Israelites, they were not allowed to go into the temple. They were not allowed to go into the most holy place. The only person that was allowed to go was the high priest, and he went in there and made atonement for sins. And so what did we have to do back in those days? We were on the outside. We couldn't go in. There were divisions that we were blocked off on. But because of Jesus and the sacrifice of what he's done in tearing the veil, we can all gather together with no limit straight. I don't see any restrictions in here. I don't see one section for the holy place, the most holy place. This is the holy place. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I know I'm not good enough, but we don't have a high priest. We're all high, we don't have a human high priest to go before us anymore. Jesus already went through and took care of that. So now we have the freedom to worship freely as a body. We have the, the privilege to worship as a body. I'm getting ahead of myself. And so what we have, what we have the local church. Now, a lot of people think, um, this is stuff that I read. Oh, yeah, the Bible doesn't support local churches. It's ridiculous. If you look at Galatians, you look at Thessalonians, if you look at Revelation, Jesus himself instructs John the Apostle to write letters to seven local churches. One was called Philadelphia. The other one was Laodicea. The other five, I can't pronounce. I'm not even going to do that. But the point is, is that Jesus himself spoke to John and said, I want you to write letters to these seven local churches. He then begins to speak on their good deeds, what they did good, and what they failed to do. But overall, the local church, the Bible supports the gathering of the local church. So if the Bible supports it, we should support it. If the Bible is founded upon here, it should be a priority to us. It's not something that we just came up with. No, this got history to it. What we're doing over time is adding and implementing based upon the times. But this, the local church, has always been here. What has happened is it's evolved over time. It's always, always been here. So when we look at church, the first appearance of the word church comes in Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus declares to Peter and the disciples, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, I have to stop you here because there's a lot of controversy surrounding this verse because a lot of people think that uh, Peter was the rock that Jesus was talking about. And I come here to dispel all of that. Amen. <laughs> I come here to dispel that. Peter, in the Greek, Petros. That's what the Greek means, Petros. It is a masculine now, but the rock where he says, upon the rock that I'll build my church, that is Petra. Okay, that's a feminine now. The use of Petra is consistent with three other verses in the New Testament that specifically refer to Jesus Christ. But the use of Petros, Peter, in the New Testament has only been used to refer to Peter in, in and of himself. 
So what does that show us? That the rock here, the rock on which Jesus is talking about the church, is not Peter, but he's referring to himself. He's referring to the confession of faith that Peter made, that Jesus, you are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah. He is the rock that this church has been built upon. 1 Corinthians 10.4, go, uh, go there, I think it's on the slide. 1 Corinthians 10.4, and it says here, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So we see here that, yes, Peter had a, Peter had a role in playing in the foundation of the church because he was one of the original 12 apostles, but he is not the rock that we are built upon. Jesus is the rock because that verse goes on to say that the foundation is built upon the apostles and the prophets and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So I come to dispel the rumors. Can you imagine if this church was built on a human, a human who just a few verses later was trying to stop Jesus from fulfilling his destiny for dying on the cross? Can you imagine if the church was built upon fickle human beings like us? But because the church is built upon a solid rock, the stone that the builders rejected, but it's a precious stone. Jesus said, God spoke to Isaiah. He says that, behold, in Zion, I lay a precious stone, a cornerstone of my building, of my house. No one shall remove it. No one shall take it from its place because it's Jesus. He is the rock on which we stand on. If we don't remember that, we're going to fall into, we're going, we're going to be, as Ephesians say, we're going to be swayed by every wave of doctrine. We're going to be swayed back to forth because we don't know who we're founded upon. But if we know that Jesus is the one who we're founded upon, we can stand secure in what we say and what we preach concerning this nation. And so when we look at, I want to address the universal church in regards to society and culture. Universal church, we got to get over it. We got to accept the fact that we're controversial. We have to accept the fact that the issues and the stances that we take on are going to hurt people's feelings. The gospel, the cross is offensive. Uh, 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 Paul said in Galatians, he said, if the cross, if I preach circumcision, if I preach works, then the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. We're not going to gain a following. We're not going to be popular what people have to say, because even though the gospel is full with grace and truth and love, the gospel also preaches that you need Jesus, that you're shipwrecked, that you're sinful, that you have sin, that your heart is deceitfully wicked. And the problem with us is that we're so full of pride, we don't want to hear what's wrong with us. Us. But more than that, we don't want to hear that this man, Jesus, is the thing that I need. I'd rather get it on my own. I'd rather fix it on myself. No, the gospel says you will never get it on your own. You will never achieve righteousness for yourself. It is only through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You try and go around them, you're going to be stuck in sin for the rest of your life. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You will not have life outside the one who gives life. not you will not have freedom you will not have deliverance you will not have restoration without the one who gives life but hearing that is is offensive but that should not stop us from preaching on what marriage is that should not stop us on preaching that murdering innocent babies is a sin that should not stop us that should not stop us from preaching hope for those who suffer with mental illness, that there is hope in Jesus. Yes, go see a counselor. Yes, go see a therapist. But my grandmother used to say he's a mind regulator. Isaiah says that if he will keep in perfect peace those minds who are stayed on him. This, this is the gospel. People not going to like it. 
that does not change the fact that we stand on it. We defend it. Paul says in the epistles, defend, contend for the gospel. Contend for this faith. You want to know why we got to contend for it? Because there's enemies surrounding us that don't want to hear it. Second Corinthians says is that if this gospel is veiled, it's veiled because the enemy has blinded the eyes of those who is veiled to, that they're perishing. That the God of this world is the one who's blinding their eyes to this gospel. So if we're afraid to speak up, if we're afraid to stand up, then they won't see it. But just like Elisha, we have to pray that God, will you open up their eyes? Like Ananias, when he went and laid hands on Saul, will the, God, will you let the scales fall off their eyes so that they see the light of the gospel so that they can be transformed and made into new creatures? This is what we need to pray and intercede for. But other than, other than that, what we have to see is that, yeah, we got to get over it. Our gospel is offensive. Our message is offensive. But we have to also see God in his word in today's culture. A lot of the reason why people don't subscribe to Christianity is because, oh, that's an old religion. They don't see its value in today's context. But if you will read the Bible, the stuff that we're going through now is just a repeat of what was happening in the Bible. <laughs> If you look at 1 Corinthians and Romans, all the discussion about sexuality and homosexuality, that's in Romans, that's in 1 Corinthians. When we're talking about self-harm, Mark chapter 5 talks about a man who had an unclean spirit. He was in the cave, his unclean spirit. He was loose and nobody could loose him a hold. And the Bible said he would cut himself with stones due to an unclean spirit. The stuff that we are dealing with today, it is not new. It's not new. You got to go here and look for it. Yes, it happened centuries ago, but all we're doing, what has happened over time, Jesus talks about how the sins of our father visits to the fourth and the third generation. So what we're dealing with is not new. And so we got to look at the word. We got to study. <laughs> Paul says, study yourself to show thyself approved. We're not studying. We're like the, we got to be like the Bereans. I don't care what your title is. I don't care if you're pastor, apostle, bishop. The Bereans, the apostle Paul himself came and presented the gospel, but they didn't say, oh, he's the apostle Paul, so I'm going to just take his word for it. No, the Bible says they examined the scriptures daily to see whether or not he was saying what's true. And Paul wasn't offended. He said, hey, I'm preaching truth. You decide for yourself. We are too lax on studying this word. Every time this man gets up to preach I go home and I study to make sure not because I don't trust that he's studying not because I don't trust him I do trust the God in him but the reality is all of us who stand up here and deliver are human we're faulty we can make mistakes so it is your job to go home it's your job to look at the messages to isolate text exegesis is not just for the preachers exegesis is for the church hermeneutics is not just for the preachers it's for the church Apologetics is not just for the preachers and the seminary students. It's for the church. We have a responsibility. That's why we're waved with every wave of doctrine because every time we hear something that fancies our ears, we take it in. But we can't even rightly divide truth. So we allow people to manipulate us and to do things in the name of Jesus that was not in the name of Jesus to begin with. We have to see culture. Tony Evans says, he says, the job of the church is to not to adopt the culture or to merely assess and analyze it, but to set heaven within the context of culture so that culture can see God at work in the midst of conflicts of men. They have to see him in their culture. How do they see a God that they can't see? They're looking at us. 
people cannot see God. Colossians says that um, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We cannot see him, so they're stuck seeing us. But if they see uh, if they see uh, an image that is not representative of Christ, that's not holy, what we reflect, what they see, that's how they're going to see God. So if I'm walking around cursing up a storm, if I'm going around being nasty to people, if I'm going around talking about my brother and my sister, and I'm supposedly supposed to be representing Christ, what do you think the possession of God is going to be? We're not called to be perfect. We are called to be holy as he is holy. But we act like we don't have the power to do that. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells within you. So you have power to live holy. First Peter says, I've given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. I've given it all to you. Use it. Use it. Every time we fall, oh, man, oh, my gosh, man, man, it's just life is so hard and sin. Listen, we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit and over and supersede the power of sin, the, the, the power that sin has over our lives. If the Holy Ghost, the spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, lives on the inside of you, I'm not saying you're not going to make mistakes, but you got power to say no. You got power to turn away. You got power to run across the room. If you see somebody they looking good and they tell you with your eyes, he gave you legs to run in the other direction. Say no. Let's stop making it complicated. I'm not saying that it's not hard. But you, me, and I as the church, we have something that the Buddhists and the Muslims don't have. We have power. We have the power of a risen king who lives on the inside of us. We don't know God's heart concerning these issues. When they ask the church, what do we do? We're going to be silent. We're not going to be able to offer up anything because we don't know what heaven is like. We don't hear heaven when babies are being killed and murdered. We don't hear the sound of heaven when those who are struggling in their identity are crying out at night, crying out for God to help them. We don't hear from heaven. How can we then offer up encouragement based on this to people that are struggling? This is the responsibility to live out the gospel, not just preach it. First Peter says that, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior. <laughs> in your behavior. In your actions. In how you walk. Yeah. They're looking at you and me. Why do you think so many people are turning away? I'm not blaming it at all on us. But we got to take fault and accept the fault that, yeah, we're not really representing Christ as we should be. Because we're being swayed. Back and forth, because we're not stable in this right here. Let your mistakes and let your let your uh, shortcomings be private. Don't leave don't leave uh, don't leave a trace, Amen, Pastor Brandon. Don't leave don't leave traces on your text messages and, and your phones and on the internet. Repent in private. Share the testimony how He delivered you. But we have to be wise in how we handle our affairs because now in this day and age, we see everything. We see everything. So I address the universal church in terms of our responsibility. Yeah, we, we got a responsibility. We got to stand on truth. We got to stand on the gospel no matter what the world says because they come after us. But I also want to address the local church. Specifically, I want to address the universal church in regards to our neglect of the local church. It is an absolute dishonor to God to neglect 
the local church. It is an absolute dishonor that the God who created us to live in community, to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. It's a dishonor. He said, Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. Yes, 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 yes. That refers to Eve. You know, we, we know Eve came along. But even in family, even in the institution of family, we see community. He established marriage, man and woman, so what? We can create kids so we can subdue the earth. And now what do we have? People. We have a community of people. If God wanted us to live in isolation, he would have stopped at Adam. Adam would have been the only person on this earth. He's like, okay, do what you do. It would have been him and the animals. But he said, let me make a partner suitable for him in his own likeness. So if he wanted us to live in isolation, if he wanted us as believers to just go huddle in a corner somewhere, he would have stopped at the first man. But he said, no, go be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth with me. Image bearers, subdue the earth with me. He has created us to live in community. So as believers, when we talk about, oh, I, I, mm, the local church, mm, well, I, I'm a part of universal church, but I don't feel like joining. You know what, believers, we got to start with this whole I don't feel like it, things like that. Jesus didn't feel like getting on the cross. <laughs> in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was like, Father, Father, if this cup pass from me, please let it be, but let your will be done. This is where we stop at. Father, man, I don't want this cup. And then we ask him for promotion and elevation. Come on now. How can you desire the will of God, but you don't want to be obedient? How can you neglect this right here that he has called together, this opportunity for us to be together, to assemble in his name? He said in Matthew that if two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. Why is that verse so important? Because it's a lot of gatherings going around, church. There are gatherings in Buddha's name, in Hindu's name, in Muhammad's name. But we come and gather in the name of Jesus Christ. Ain't no power, ain't no deliverance going on in the Buddhist temple. Ain't no power and restoration going on in the Hindu and the Muslim temple. There's nothing happening because they deny the Son of God. But if we who acknowledge him come together, if we who acknowledge him but don't acknowledge the other ones he very created, that's a contradiction. How can I honor him and not honor the ones he created me to be in community with? That's a problem. That's a problem. In our verses, Acts 2, 41, 47 gives us four major components of the local church. We have biblical teaching and devotion to that teaching. We have fellowship. We have the breaking of bread. And we have prayer. Again, teaching, biblical teaching. Paul says, we don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ. <laughs> we don't preach, I don't preach me. I don't, I don't preach me. Personally, I'm not, I'm not that exciting. Jesus is. In fact, my life is so great because of Jesus. That's why I preach Jesus, amen? <laughs> Outside of Jesus, ain't nothing spectacular about me, but because he lives in me, I got a reason to celebrate and be all that in a bag of chips, amen? We preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ resurrected. We preach Christ ascended. And it says, the Bible says, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted. As long as this man and whoever else is standing up here is following Christ, be devoted. He's spending time and countless hours pouring it of himself so that you can get a word to strengthen your life. Be devoted. 
the minute anybody comes up here and starts preaching anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have a right to leave. But as long as he's preaching the gospel, the biblical text, be devoted and study it. You need it. He needs it. We all need it. But you know who doesn't need it? God, because it's his word. <laughs> we need the word. We need to be educated and, 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 and educated on how to rightly divide scripture. And then also what I love in this verse, we see fellowship. Fellowship. Here's a great thing. So here in TCF, we love, we don't, we, we acknowledge the use of the word members, but we really like to call each other partners. And in verse 42, this word fellowship in the English translation of the Greek, it means partnership. <laughs> Go to Blue Letter Bible and look it up for yourself. I'm telling you when I saw it, oh, I said, oh, that joint just blessed me. Don't get me wrong. Yes, I am a member of TCF. Yes, I go here. I tithe and all of that. But there's something about the word partner that means is that I come, come, come here. Um, TCF. Partner means we step in this thing together. That we just don't sit on our behinds and not do nothing. <laughs> but when it comes to the work of the church, we put one foot in, the other foot in. We partner together. Thank you. To accomplish this work. You see in this verse, words like together. They came together, one mind, one accord. They shared. The early Christian community were not off in their own worlds, y'all. They came together. 3,000 of them, them, of them jokers. Can you imagine? I'm an introvert, y'all, so I'm just like, man, 3,000 people. I probably would have found myself in a corner like, oh, my God. <laughs> All of these people. <laughs> But it was something about hearing Peter's message about the transforming the power of Jesus Christ. They were drawn not only by Jesus, but they were drawn to the Jesus in each other. They were drawn to other believers, and that's why they came together. They fellowshiped together. Psalm 1, well, excuse me, Psalm 133 and 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity. He said how good and pleasant it is to dwell not visit each other from time to time. We're supposed to live this life together, y'all. Universal church and local church. The reality is that, yes, Jesus is our burden bearer, as my grandmother used to say. But he gave us each other to bear each other's burdens. To share the low. Galatians says that bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. We were not meant to do this thing alone. This local edifice gives us the opportunity to lean, to, own, uh, to, to, to take care, uh, take um, part in the Lord's Supper. That's what he's talking about, breaking bread. Every first Sunday, we come and commemorate the Lord's sacrifice. We come in here, we honor the bread and the body, excuse me, the bread and blood that was sacrificed for us. We come and do it together. You know why we should do it together? Because when Jesus did it, he was with the table of 12 other disciples. <laughs> Even in communion, he was in community with other people. He wasn't doing communion by himself. He went at the Lord's supper table by himself. He was with a community of people. And in prayer, Isaiah says that my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. House of what? Prayer. 
So if God's house is to be called a house of prayer, it is our responsibility to cultivate a lifestyle of prayer. That's why we have corporate prayer on Tuesday. It was absolutely amazing. We're still getting praise reports of people that say, thank you so much for praying for me. There's a real need out here, people, and God has called us to intercede for those who can't intercede. There are a lot of people who don't know how to pray, but if I'm cultivated, if I know how to pray, I can begin to pray for my brother and sister who can't even pray for themselves. The Bible even says that the Spirit, when we don't even know what to pray, He intercedes for us with moanings and groanings, and there was a lot of moanings and groanings going on Tuesday because we are facing principalities in the area, so if we don't pray, they begin to take a rise, but as we continue to pray, we get to mount up our attack against the kingdom of darkness and say, this is not your territory, you cannot have them, you cannot have these people, this must be cultivated in the local church. A prayerless church is a powerless church. Through prayer is who, how we're connected to him. If we don't pray, what are we going to do? How can we expect to cast out demons? How can we expect to minister deliverance? How can we expect to do that if we're not connected? Prayer, 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 prayer. Individually and corporately. Other practices from this passage. We see giving. See, yes, we're supposed to give to the poor and the widows and the orphans. But don't you know that there are widows and orphans in your own church? Don't you know there are people who are single mothers and single fathers in your own church? I'm not saying neglect the people on the outside. I'm saying don't forget the people who are also on the inside, too. Galatians says, it says, so then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't forget each other. We out here struggling. (laughs) Amen. Sometimes when we come here on Tuesday, we buy each other food. Because some weeks, whether we say it or not, the bank looks a little low. But if I had a good week and you had a bad week and God puts it on my heart to get Chick-fil-A, we all blessed. Amen. (laughs) If I'm having a bad week and you having a good week and we in the mood for some sweets, you can go to Cupcake and Company and get us all some sweets. Amen. He don't allow us to all be in the valley at the same time. Somebody got to have a bonus check coming. We can splurge on each other. Amen. This is the purpose of community. This is the purpose. And ultimately, what is our call to make disciples? Proclaiming the gospel. Say the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what separates us from every other faith. They don't even acknowledge Jesus. But Jesus is the object of the gospel. We have to proclaim. Paul says that it is, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto men for salvation. It has that power to to unblind the eyes of those who are blind and save them and deposit eternal life to be born again. So we see the purposes of the church. Now we got to prioritize it. It's too many believers out here. Oh, church, we, church is like number three, number four, five down the line. If it is a priority to God, why is it not a priority to us? If assembling together is a priority to him, why don't we make it our mission? Yes, church hurt. Yes, abuse. Yes, scandal. I don't deny any of that. Don't deny any of that. And actually, I'm not even going to talk about those particular people. I'm talking about, um, even if you have experienced it, I'm talking really to the people who you have made up in your mind that, mm-mm, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm a, I don't need the local church. You think that you can make it in this life as a believer by yourself. You think that sitting at home watching live streams 
is going to get the job done, is your version of community. I don't speak against live streams because there are people who can't get to church and they need it. I don't come against worship gatherings. We do our own worship nights. I don't come against pop-ups and things like that. But these are not substitutions for the local church. The local church has its own purpose. We cannot substitute that. Those are good additions. It's not meant to be the substitute. This is where we come to get teaching, to be edified. This is where we come and pray together and fellowship together. Do not neglect this right here, believers. Do not neglect it. What's another main excuse that we like to use? Oh, church people are hypocritical. You know, it really, it really makes me laugh how we can call other people hypocritical and not see the hypocrisy in our own selves. It's funny to me how we can say, oh, she get on my nerves, she do this, Sunday and funny, all this other stuff. I'm not denying that's not true, but if you take a look and examine yourself and what you've been like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the reality is, is that we're all in need of the grace of God. We all need Jesus. I will never come into a person, listen, the, the, the crackhead, the weed head, I'm in just... Much need of Jesus as they are. Not because we because we on we on the same level field. Don't matter that our struggles are different. I need Jesus. They need Jesus. We all need Jesus. So we got to stop with this hypocrisy. These excuses are what we use because we don't really want to confront the issue. <laughs> A lot of people don't like how certain local churches are organized. I get that. I get that. Do your research, make some suggestions. And if it really gets to a point, I suggest that you pray about it and see if God should move you to another church. But to cast away the local church completely because you're not getting your own way? See, that's another thing. That's another thing we don't wanna be honest about. A lot of the times, it's not really personal issues. That could be a thing. But a lot of times we have to really look at it as that, is it really, am I just being, is, am I really being selfish? Do I want it my own way? And if I don't get it my own way, I'm just gonna cast it aside completely, no. What is the real issue? What is the real issue that we're dealing with? Even though our eternity is secure, we still have to walk out this life in obedience. We have to do it together. We have to do it together, y'all. We're going to fall. It's, it's one thing. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Ecclesiastes says, even if one falls, I got somebody who can help pick me up. If I'm walking this life by myself, I'm just going to fall and, whoa, there's nobody there to help me. But if I got two or three people who are walking alongside of me, even when it gets weary and tired, come here, Princeton, when it gets weary and tired and when I don't feel like walking anymore, when I want to give up, when I want to give up on the people who, uh, who, who, uh, who uh, talked about me, who were talking about my name and they were uh, cursing me out and things like that, when I want to just give up, up. And watch it. Help me up slowly. It's not going to happen overnight, but as long as they're there, I can take, mm, oh, ah, and I might be crippled for a little bit, but they're going to help me rise up and I'm going to get back up again. That's the power of community. The power of agreement. This is what this is for, y'all. This is what this is for. People asking, do I, have to have, do I have to go to church to have a relationship with God? Do I have to go to church to be saved? The answer is no. You don't need to go to church to get saved. Why? Because salvation is justification by faith alone. You believe in the saving power and the finished work of Jesus Christ, and you are saved. He has deposited eternal life into, into you, so you are saved. However, true salvation, 
goes on to produce works. Your works are evidence that you have been transformed by the power and love of Jesus Christ. James says, what is a man with faith and no works? I don't do the works to earn salvation. I do the works to show that he came and he saved me and deposited himself into me. In fact, Philippians even says that for it is God who is at work in you to will and work for his good pleasure. So even when I don't want to be obedient, even when I don't want to do what God is telling me to do, I have his spirit to empower me to do which I don't want to do. It is a natural, it is a natural result of the Holy Spirit coming in and dwelling in me. It is, it is a natural result. And so what we have to see is that, yes, church people can, get, can be annoying. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, any perfect, but we're all annoying in our own way. We got to start with the whole, what, can I, what else do I need to do in order to be right with God? Or is this, if I meet this quota, then that's it. No, stop looking at it like that. We're not about trying to fulfill a quota. We're trying to bring people to Christ. We're trying to live a life so that we can live the next life. It should be a natural result of the transforming work that he did inside of me. Stop asking, oh, man, do we have to do this to be saved? Do we have to do this to be right with God? You're in the wrong mindset. You're in the completely wrong mindset. We do what we do because we want to. I don't know about you. I do this because I want to. Because I think about the grace of our God. I think about those hours that Jesus was on the cross and how he endured. I think about how he's delivered me out of my mess. And so I just come here. I not only come to worship him, but I come and worship in the community of people that he's also delivered. Because it's by your testimony that I'm strengthened. It's by your testimony that my faith is built up. I will never neglect coming here. Yes, does it get tiring? Yes, does it get annoying at times? Yes, but I will never neglect this because I see the purpose. I see the relevancy. I see that this is important to him. And so beyond what I want, I honor him and I honor what he wants. Community, all of us together. Let's see. I, I love uh, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. There's only so much iron sharpening that can go on if I'm at home and you're here. There's only so much iron sharpening that can happen if all I'm doing is going to conferences. There's only so much iron sharpening that can happen if we're just gathering together for worship on a Friday night. All of those things are nice and of themselves. They're nice additions. They are not meant to be this. They are additions. They are um, components of what we do here. A lot of us, a lot of people, they create those things to replace. No, you're stepping into very dangerous territory. This is what he's created, and this is what he wants. Don't step on it. If you need to take some time to heal from church hurt, take your time. I'm not saying rush and go into any church. You think about the church. You go do your research. You go see if they're preaching truth. You go see about their operations and systems. You do your research. I'm not saying be dumb and stupid. I'm saying do what you need to do. Do your research. Pray. But at some point, you can't just sit and pray. You need to take action. You need to go join and be a part of a local body that's near you, that's in your vicinity, where you can call up people. They can come together and pray. I, hey, I can't make it to corporate prayer, but I know y'all going to be meeting there. So can y'all pray for me? 
Don't you know the scriptures talk about power in agreement? The power and agreement that we have as a house, because we have one singular focus, don't you understand that even though we may have not seen immediate results on Tuesday, in the spirit things were happening, chains were breaking, all of those things were happening because we came into agreement, not just what God wanted, but what he wanted for us and these people. Lastly, lastly, I don't think we really understand the privilege that we have to come together. This past Easter Sunday in 2019, over 100 people walked into three churches in Sri Lanka and were immediately blown up by bombs that were placed there the day before. So while we were coming into this edifice to worship our risen king on Easter Sunday, our Sri Lankan brothers and sisters stepped in. Gone. Don't you know that in the Middle East, even on this side, there's extreme persecution of the Christian church. Yeah. I'm not saying that the church hasn't gone through its own things here, but we don't suffer nearly as much persecution as they do. They have to hide. They say the name Jesus and they can be killed on the spot. So how dare we walk in here with a nasty attitude? How dare we walk in here ungrateful? The fact that we can walk in here and not have to fear being shot or bombed up while our brothers and sisters in the faith across the sea have to watch their every step before they can even go and worship. Yeah. One woman in Syria, she lived in a Christian village in, um, I think it was Arabia, and she was raped and tortured for nine hours. Why? Because she stood with this. There were other women in her village that left, but she stayed, and unfortunately, she paid. However, she's in glory. <laughs> oh, man, that was weak. I said she's in glory, y'all. She don't have to go through pain and torture anymore. That even the torture that she suffered on earth, now she's experiencing no pain at all. But my point is, is that even our brothers and sisters over there have such resilience that even in living in areas of extreme persecution, they still press their way into the presence of God because they honor the privilege of gathering in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't honor that. We have it. We have it really good, y'all. I know the, the uh, I know the social media will make it seem like we don't have it. We have it much, much better here. It broke my heart to see that, that people were just walking into that church. They wanted to celebrate the risen king. They were singing. They wanted to sing the songs. They wanted to raise their hands. They wanted to worship. They wanted to give. They wanted to hear a word. And as soon as they stepped in there, they went up in smoke, honored the privilege of coming to gather in the name of Jesus. We are so part. We're, we're one of the most, I would argue, the most persecuted faith because of our message. But even in the death of the Sri Lankan, our Sri Lankan brothers and sisters, even in the death of this woman who was just living in our own village, in our own house, standing for Christianity, I'm encouraged by them. You want to know why? Because they pressed. That's it. 
because the reality of the gospel is real to them. That Jesus came down through 40 and two generations. He was born as a child. He lived this life completely. And when it was all said and done, he got up on that cross. He did not fulfill what he wanted to do, but he put hands, not in his hands, but right here where all this bone and sinew was. And he was laid up on that cross hours and hours. And the reality of the gospel was real to them so much that even in areas of serious persecution, they pressed day after day. They went and had secret meetings to gather in the name of Jesus. I wonder if there's anybody in here, if the reality of the gospel is real to you. I wonder what you would do if you were persecuted. I wonder what you would do if you had a choice. I've made up in my mind that for Jesus I'll live and for Christ I'll die. I don't care what happens in this life. I don't care what I experience. I don't care if you take a stab, a knife and stab me. I will not deny Jesus. I will not. Because the reality of where I was and where I should have been is so clear as day to me. You don't have to force me to come here. You don't have to force me to gather around and be the body of believers. The gospel is so real to me. What he wants from our community, the, his desire for the community is so real to me. That even when it gets tired, I still press my way because the reality of what he did for me. I wake up and I see that reality because he breathes new life within me. Why don't you take a look back and see last year and five and 10 and 20 years ago where you should have been and yet you stand here alive. You stand here saved by the very grace of God. These people in Sri Lanka, they were motivated by grace. Stop being motivated, being motivated by a paycheck. Be motivated by the grace of God. church we have a responsibility we're not going to be liked I have to get over it <laughs> we stand on this message but we also take our due diligence to do what we need to do being excuse me, devoted to this local edifice right here and wherever you are we all together represent the universal church and when it's all said and done, Thessalonians says that we'll be caught up together to meet him in the air and we will be all be together. It won't be a TCF in a, this church and a, that church and different local churches. We will all be together with Christ in the air. But while we're here, while we're here, be committed. A lot of y'all complaining, y'all not serving. You want change, but you're not invested. So you're not doing anything. I can see if you were investing and serving, but if you're not doing nothing, you don't have no right to say nothing. You're part of the problem. Invest, serve, be diligent, be committed to this. It's not about a job. It's about honoring the one who wants us to live and dwell together in community so that we have each other to lean on in the rough times. If we were to see the church as who we are more than what we do, I wonder how many attitudes would change. I wonder how many dispositions would change if we saw ourselves as the church. This building is not the church. It houses the church because we are the church. Stand to your feet. We thank you, God, 
for the privilege and the honor to gather together in your name, a name that is exalted above all names. You don't take it for granted. And for the times that we do, forgive us. Forgive us for the times we walked in here with attitudes and we wanted to uh, curse people out and, you know, just throw it all away. Forgive us. Forgive us for forsaking what you created for us to be in. But as David said, create, create in us a clean heart and renew within us a right spirit that we see not just the need for you, but to see how we need each other. We thank you and we praise you. We honor you. We love you. We honor your sacrifice. We intercede for those across the seas and across the waters who are hiding, who are in fear for their lives. But we're grateful, oh God, that you left us the best life insurance policy that even if they should take away, even if they should cast us out here in this earth, we shall reign with you for an eternity. We thank you, God, that even if someone were to come and shoot us up right now, we know that in an instant we would be with you. We thank you that in you we have that assurance, that in no other name we have that assurance, but in you we have that assurance. We thank you for that. We thank you that even if we were to take our last breath tomorrow, security is secure, eternity is secure. We thank you for that. We thank you for establishing this local body. We thank you for what you've created and, and built together here at this edifice you call Transformation Christian Fellowship. We will not neglect the assembling of ourselves together, but we will come together. We will stir each other, stir each other up in good works and in love to encourage one another because we recognize that you created this, that we didn't create it. This wasn't our idea, but you created it. And so because we honor you, we honor your creation. We honor this place. We honor this edifice. And as your word says in Acts that you added on daily the souls that were saved. So we're asking, oh God, we're not looking for people who just want to come in and just sit down. But we're asking, oh God, that you would add to us partners. That you would add to us co-laborers. That you would add us co-laborers for the gospel. That you would add on those who will come alongside to help us when we're weary, oh God. We've been weary, oh God. Your church has been weary. Your church has been crying out, oh God. But we stand here believing, oh God, that you will not only establish the work of our hands, but you will send us help oh lord you will send us laborers you will send us what we need we stand on that promise right now in the name of jesus we stand on that right now in the name of jesus